Good morning, folks. And welcome to Grace. Hope you have your Bibles with you. Turn with me to uh, Psalm 127. The scripture that uh, Dan read this morning is where we're going to hunker down for a little bit. So if you have your Bibles, you can grab them at this point and turn to Psalm 127. If you want to then turn to Proverbs 22 and kind of put your finger there or uh, kind of make a note of it, that's the second text that we'll be looking at. Uh, happy Father's Day again uh, to all you fathers out there. And uh, Today, instead of uh, kind of continuing on in our sermon series on the seven deadly sins, we're going to take a break from that, kind of hit pause a little bit, and uh, focus our attention on Dad. Focus our attention a bit on Father's Day. So Psalm 127 is where we're going to be. Entitled the sermon this morning, Keeping the Glory. Keeping the Glory, that is fatherhood. I trust that you're there, close to it. Let's pray. We'll dive right in. Father, thank you for the morning. Thank you for these folks who have come to worship you, to give praise to you. And Father, we pause just for a moment uh, and marvel that you offer us the great privilege of calling you Father, of, of calling you Abba, Father, because we know that you are the Father of all people because you created them, and yet in even a more unique way for those of us who have placed our faith in Jesus, who have repented of sin and selfishness and turned and placed our faith in Christ and Christ alone, his death and burial and resurrection for our sins, that we can call you Father in a unique way, that you have adopted us into your family and that we then can be brothers and sisters. What a marvelous thing, this institution of fatherhood that you have created. And we recognize that in every father and in our fathering that we have the great privilege of mimicking and mirroring you. And so help all of us, we pray, who are dads, to live up to that high standard, to know you and to follow you and to serve you all the days of our life, and not only to be good dads to our kids, but to show them uh, the real Father who is in heaven. And we ask it in the name of Christ, our God and our Savior, and God's people set. Amen. Amen. I want to begin this morning with a story told uh, by a pastor. His name was Reverend Norman Murphy. And uh, the pastor uh, told this story uh, of a conversation that he overheard. And it was a conversation between his six-year-old daughter, whose name was Elizabeth, and her friend Jimmy, who uh, were close family friends. And Jimmy happened to be over that day playing in their house. And uh, he overheard this conversation. And so he writes the following. He says, They were the best of friends, and they attended Sunday school class together. But this one evening, they got into a little bit of an argument, he writes. He said, I had just added a log to the fireplace in our home and stoked it up, and it was uh, nice and full. And as I returned to my, my lounging chair for the evening, I heard my daughter say to her friend Jimmy, my father was very brave to get that close to the fire. Jimmy, of course, responded, snapping back, well, my father's braver than yours. And he writes, for a few minutes, they argued over the point whose father was the bravest. And then he overheard Jimmy, the friend, say, well, well, I know someone who's even braver than your dad. To which Elizabeth replied, well, who? Nobody could be braver than my dad. To which he quickly answered, Jesus Christ. That's who is braver than your dad. And he said his daughter thought about it, and there was a, a long silence. And then he heard his daughter say, well, no, but he can be second. <laughs> that is, Jesus can be second. He writes, at that moment, I realized the tremendous influence that a father has over his children. I think this story is a, is a very good illustration of Proverbs 17.6. It's on the screen behind me, and it's, it says this. It says, grandchildren are the crown of old men, and the glory of sons 
is their fathers. The glory of sons, you could, re- you could read in daughters. The glory of children is their fathers. This proverb, uh, it's fairly simple, and I think it's close to home for, for, for many of us. It gives a, two really examples of family relationships in which one person is proud of or takes glory in the other. First, of course, grandkids make their grandparents proud. That's what this means when it says grandchildren are the crown of old men. Now, we know that, right? Those of you who are grandparents, you know this, that your grandkids, man, they make you so proud, and you want to talk about them and share all that they've done and all that they have accomplished. And so I decided to take a look this week at my mother's Facebook page um, and, and just, to, just to see kind of what she posted. And, and I found these two images that she had posted just this week to kind of make the, the first point. The first one says this, Mommy knows a lot. But grandma knows everything, right? And so she posted this this, this week. Uh, and, and here's the other image that she posted. I'll read it. Uh, if you have been blessed with your grandchildren that are truly amazing, the pride and joy of your life, and make growing old so worth it, share this on your status, God bless grandchildren, right? That was just this week that my mom posted on her Facebook page. And so it's, it's fairly evident, right, that, that grandkids make grandparents proud. But what about the second half of the verse? It kind of gets to what we're going, uh, going at this morning. Secondly, fathers make sons, and by extension, of course, daughters. Fathers make their kids proud. And the glory of sons is their fathers. Fathers here are called glorious, right? They are the glory of their children. What, what does that mean? Well, it means that their children look up to them. It means that their kids kind of naturally, by design, hold them in in high esteem. They are drawn to emulate their fathers, like we see in the pictures behind me. I look for some pictures, and well, here's one, right? So the dad is shaving, uh, and then the son is is following right behind, right? What about this next one? This one hits close to home. There's a dad, and he's a cowboy, apparently, and there's Little Johnny, right? He's following close behind. He's got his rope in hand and his little cowboy hat and his boots following uh, alongside his, his dad, right? We see this in our own lives. We see this in the life of other people. The glory of children is their fathers. Dad, dads, I'm going to talk to you today because it's your day. Fathers, you are your children's glory. And it's designed to be that way. I believe. However, experientially, in the ebbs and flows, the ups and downs of life, that glory, I think, can be added to. You can be made more glorious. It can be maintained. But it can also be diminished. It can also be lost. And so the question that I want to frame our sermon with this morning is this. How can we as dads, how can we keep the glory? Dads, how can you keep the glory? I want to suggest a couple things. First of all, I think we can, as dads, keep the glory by, first of all, trusting in the Lord. By trusting in the Lord as we pursue being a father, as we pursue parenting. We, first and foremost, we have to trust in God as we go about the endeavor of parenting. And we'll see that from Psalm 127. So I hope that you're there. Secondly, not only must we trust in the Lord, but we must train up our children. We must train them up in the way that they should go. So trusting in the Lord and training up our children, I think, are two ways that the Old Testament specifically tells us, and we'll get into the New Testament a bit as well, that we can keep the glory. Dads, I don't know about you, but I want to maintain the glory, right? I want to keep that, and I want it to to grow. 
So how can we do that? Well, hopefully you have the Bible in your lap. If not, you can see it on the screen behind me. Let's look at Psalm 127. Psalm 127, which shows us that as parents, we need to trust in the Lord in the endeavor of parenting. Verses 1 and 2 of Psalm 127 uh, are, ha, essentially speak to one central truth. Uh, three illustrations, but one truth. And here's the central truth. Work, that is any endeavor, anything we might go about doing, any work, including fathering, that is done independently of God. We do it without God's help. We do it without seeking the Lord. It's ultimately futile. And any human effort is of little value unless the Lord has his hand in it. Let's take a look at verses 1 and 2 because Solomon starts with three examples from ancient life. Ancient life. Very different from ours today, and yet the truths are still there and applicable to us. He starts with three examples from ancient life, each of them starting with the letter S, just to make things simple for us, to make this point that any work, any endeavor that we pursue independently of God is is ultimately futile. God has to have his hand in it. Let's take a look at verse 1. First of all, he he begins with the pursuit of shelter. Now, we take it for granted in this culture, but in that culture, shelter was very, very important, and it wasn't easy to get. So he says this, Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. So he's saying, listen, you can work hard to provide shelter for your family, but if the Lord isn't in it, it's done in vain. He moves from shelter to security. Notice the image. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman keeps awake in vain. He says, you can have as many watchmen on the city walls as you want, but if God isn't actively involved in the endeavor of protecting the city, well, then it's in vain. He moves from shelter, security, to sustenance. Notice what he says. He says, it is in vain for you to rise up early, to retire late, to eat the bread of painful labors, Why? For he, speaking of God, for he gives it to his beloved even in his sleep. So what is he saying here? He's given us three illustrations to to hammer the point that any work, any endeavor that we undertake, independently of God, is utterly useless. It doesn't mean we shouldn't work hard. Of course we should work hard at whatever we do, including parenting and fatherhood. But we must trust in God and seek the Lord as we do it. So while trusting in God is necessary when you're building a house, as in verse 1, it's also necessary when you're building a household, when you're building a family. And that's exactly where he goes in verses 3 through 5. He begins by affirming that one of the greatest gifts that God gives us, remember the tail end of verse 2 says, for God gives to his beloved, that is those who are his children, he gives, he gives to his beloved even in his sleep. Well, what are one of those good gifts from the, from the Lord? Well, we see it in verse 3. Behold, children are a gift of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. So he begins with this foundational truth that kids are one of God's best gifts to us. He then gives us two examples as to why this is true. Why are kids such a blessing? Well, in particular, in that culture, there were two specific reasons. Both of them had to do with providing protection for the parent. So, very different in that day, right? There weren't 401ks. There, there wasn't the government to help us retire, right? We, parents were utterly dependent upon their kids as they got older. And so the psalmist here in verse 3 and 4 and 5 talk about how kids provide protection 
First of all, protection from outside military threats. It was common in Israel on that day, right? So invaders come in, who's going to protect mom and dad? Well, of course, the children are. Look what it says. Like arrow in the hand of a warrior. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. They provided military protection, but not just that. They provided protection legally from those opponents who might try to swindle their parents in old age. Notice what he says in verse 5. How blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be ashamed when they speak with their enemies in the gate. In the Old Testament, the city gate was a place of business. It was a place of legal transaction. And so, essentially what the psalmist is saying is, is children are a blessing from the Lord. And in that culture, they provided protection, both from outside threats and from inside threats. And here's the point. As we turn to look at fathers and Father's Day, Psalm 27 teaches us that we should trust in God as we work on any endeavor, in particular dads, as we work on our parenting, we first and foremost need to trust in the Lord. We need to turn to Him and acknowledge that our kids are a good gift from Him. So how can we do that? How do we trust in the Lord with our kids as a parent? Well, I think we can do it lots of ways. Let me just suggest, dads, particular, a few for you. First of all, do you pray for yourself? I think all of us, We naturally are inclined to pray for us, but specifically, do you pray for your fathering? Do you pray for wisdom? Do you pray for discernment? Do you pray for insight for yourself? Do you pray for your kids? Do you pray for their salvation? Do you pray for their friends? Do you pray for their future husband or future wife? Do you pray that they might grow in godliness and in righteousness? Do you seek the Lord daily in your own relationship? Because if you want your kids To walk with God, you have to walk with God as well. So they're watching us. They're looking at us. So how are we doing with that? Are we trusting in God, fathers, as we parent? That's the first way that we can keep the glory as a father. We we work hard, we parent, we father, yes. But we trust in the Lord. And we recognize that unless the Lord builds the house, unless God is building our household, then all of our labor is in vain. And so we trust in Him. But secondly, not only do we trust in the Lord, but we must train up our children. So hopefully you turn to Proverbs 22. Turn there with me, if you will, now. Proverbs 22, verse 6. It may be a familiar passage. It's often quoted, and it's rightly so. It's very helpful as we consider the role of parents and children. Train up our children. Notice what it says, verse 6. Train up a child in the way that he should go. Even when he is old... He will not depart from it. What what is the Bible teaching us here? Well, when you do a little work on the word train up, it's translated train up here, everywhere else in the Old Testament, everywhere else in in the Old Testament, it's translated to dedicate, to dedicate something. Now here, it's, it's a legitimate translation, training up a child, but we have to remember what the word means. Elsewhere, it means to dedicate something. It was used of the temple. It was used of things used in the temple. The word was used of all sorts of things that were set aside to be useful to the Lord, including our kids. It's the idea of setting aside something, but it also includes this idea, picture in your mind, it also included the idea of of narrowing in something or of hedging placing boundaries to hedge something in a particular way so that that object would go the way that you want it to go. This is also included in the the idea of the word. So 
So let's think about this scripture. What does it mean when it says, train up a child? Dads, when it says, train up a child, what does it mean? Let me suggest it means this. It means that the goal of our fathering and the goal of our parenting is to set our children aside, both to know God through faith in Christ and then to serve God. And the means by which we do that is by narrowing their conduct hedging their conduct away from that which is evil and towards righteousness. Does that make sense? So when it says train them up, we're setting them aside to know and to follow God, and we actively do that by kind of channeling them in a particular direction. So here's an illustration maybe to help you understand this. Um, Just this week, uh, I think I was home for lunch, and uh, Shelly, and I think it was Shelly and Asher, uh, kind of came in from the garage into our kitchen and they kind of in a, in, a, in a hurry. And I said, what's, what's going on? And Asher says, there's a bird in our garage. And I thought, okay, no big deal, right? Bird in the garage, it'll fly out. He said, it's not, it's not leaving the garage. It's stuck in our garage. And I thought, ah, Father's, Father's Day week. I'm a good dad. I'll handle this, right? And so I go and I shut the kids in. I don't want them to get hurt or scared. And so here I am. Mano y birdo, right? And me and the bird, here I go. I'm going to take care of this bird. And it was a stubborn and or a stupid bird. I'm not sure which. Uh, like you be the judge. I don't know much about birds. But initially, the bird <coughs> um, was standing on the garage door. So the garage door was up, and the bird was on top of the garage door. And so I got my, my broom, and I just kind of nudged at it, you know, just kind of get it down, kind of nudging. And I keep nudging, and, I, and it's not getting down. So I thought... Well, I'm going to shut the garage door. So I hit the button, right down goes the garage door. And I said, surely this will work. And it did. It didn't crush the bird. It said, the bird is okay, right? So the bird fell, flew down into my garage. And so then I put the door back up, because I ultimately, where do I want it to go? Well, I want it to go out the garage door, right? And so it's kind of in the, in the middle of my garage. And I, I kind of, shoot, 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 right? I'm shooting at it. And instead of going towards the outside where it should be, where does it go? It goes further into the garage, deeper into the abyss, which is my garage. And it's going deeper and deeper, and it it gets stuck. We have shelves, a couple layers of shelving in our garage. And then, of course, we have boxes on those shelves. And so between the top of the boxes and our roof is about that much space. You know, this much space. And where does it go? It goes there, right? I'm like, you stupid bird. And so I'm, I'm getting at it, and it's just not budging. Finally, I kind of gave it a swift hit. And it goes right in the middle of my garage. And I'm like, easy enough. I'm going to sweep, 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 kind of nudge it out. It will not budge. So here's what I do. I thought, I need to corral it, in a sense. And so I got two rakes, both of our rakes, right? Imagine rakes. These are, these are the rakes, right? And I, and I got them kind of like this. And I created a bit of a V, right, over the bird. And, and, I'm, and I clamp it, right? And I kind of put it over. It didn't hurt it. I put the V rake thing over the bird, and I do this. I walk it back. I walk it back. And it, it, it follows me, and I'm walking it back. I'm walking it back all the way until it saw daylight and flew off. Yay, I was a good dad. Um, so what was I doing? I was narrowing it in. I was creating a hedge because I wanted the bird to go a particular direction, right? That's what we do as parents. That's what we do as Fathers, we, we create boundaries and hedges because we want our children not just to go any particular way. Which way do we want them to go? Well, look at verse 6. Train up a child 
in the way, my translation here, in the way that he should go. And I think that's a good translation. Um, It's possible that this is referring to the child's disposition. That is, if they're musical, don't make them become an athlete. Or if they're an athlete, don't make them become musical. That's a valid interpretation. I don't think it's the best interpretation. I think what this is talking about is the life direction of the child. In in, In Proverbs in particular, when it talks about somebody's way or path, it's describing the way that they live their life. And so... The way that he should go means the way that the child ought to go. God's way. On the straight and narrow path, right? And that leads us to Ephesians 6. Because when we move from the old to the new, we see a general admonition to train up our children in Proverbs 22.6. But it narrows in Ephesians 6. So if you want to turn there, you can. It's on the, the, the screen behind me. There in the New Testament we find a New Testament counterpart to Proverbs 22.6, which tells us to train up our children. Notice what it says in verse 4 of Ephesians 6. Ephesians 6 specifically gives fathers, dads, the primary, primary responsibility. Doesn't mean your wife doesn't help. The primary responsibility of doing this. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. That's the negative command. Don't provoke them to anger, but, this is what you should do, but bring them up. Bring them up, very similar to training them. Bring them up in the discipline, number one, and instruction, number two, of the Lord. Discipline refers to kind of hands-on discipline, both correction and affirmation. So when it says, fathers, uh, raise them up by disciplining them, that is, be involved, hands-on in their lives. Use experiences to teach them. Instruction is verbal instruction. So it's both what we do and what we say. It's both our lips, right, and and life instruction. That's, That's how we do this. So dads, let me just take a moment just to challenge us, all of us. I can't emphasize this enough. You, I, bear primary responsibility for this. This is not your wife's job. Men, it's not the Sunday school teachers or the Awana leader's job. It's not the school's job. It's not the pastor's primary job. It's not VeggieTales' primary job, right? It's yours. You take the lead on this. And you can do it in a multitude of ways. You be the one to read the Bible to your kids. You be the one to pray with them at bed or in the mornings. You be the one to let them see you reading your Bible or praying. You be the one to initiate church attendance and Sunday school participation, ministry, service opportunities. Let them see you giving to God and teach them to do the same. Men, we have to do this. So how how can we do this? How can we do this? Well, I want to share with you uh, just some practical ideas as dads. We need a game plan if we're going to do this, right? We need some, some help, some illustrations. We need a, a strategy. I don't know if you were involved in watching the NBA Finals. I didn't really watch it, but I just kind of kept up w- with it in the news cycle. Um, the Golden State Warriors over there from the West Coast uh, were playing LeBron James and the Cleveland Cavaliers, right? And uh, let's see who won. Oh, yeah, not LeBron James. Nope, he didn't win. But the other team won. I like LeBron, no knock. Um, it was a very good series, and the series stood at two games to one Cleveland. So Cleveland was up two games to one. They were looking pretty good. And to make a long story short, the coach of uh, the Golden State Warriors decided to make a change in his game plan. 
Uh, and this is what he did. He went small in his lineup. What that basically means, instead of two seven-foot guys, they had a six-eight and a six-seven guy, right? They just downsized a little bit, right? They, they made their team quicker, uh, less height, more speed, maybe some more shooting ability, and it worked. They went on to win the series, I believe, four games to two, and most analysts say that was a strategic move that led them to, to beat LeBron James and the Cleveland Cavaliers. They had a, a strategy, a game plan. And men, we need to think strategically as well about how we do that. So let me just give you some illustrations, some examples. Um, some of you guys were with us when we did our men's fraternity series uh, early, early, early in the mornings. And on one of those, it was an entire session devoted to this topic. And Pastor, uh, Pastor Lewis, who is kind of the speaker of that video series, spoke about three categories to what he called strategic fatherhood. So let me just share with you, the points should be on the screen, three areas of strategic fatherhood. Dads, our kids need to see certain things from us, they need to hear certain things from us, and they need to receive certain things from us. So here's a, here's a game plan, here's a strategy for you. Number one, Pastor Lewis suggests that, that our kids need to see um, three things. They need to see three things. First of all, they need to see dad loving mom so fathers how 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 do you how are you a good father well it begins by having a healthy relationship with your wife that's the foundation that's the foundational relationship in in any home is the husband wife relationship pastor lewis says this he says men the greatest gift that you will ever give your child is loving your wife because you're showing them that that, that love is real that it's possible And you're showing them how love really works in real life in a relationship. So so dads, first and foremost, here's what you do. You love your wife. You love your wife well. Number two, he says, the kids also need to see dad's character. Proverbs 27 says this, A righteous man who walks in his integrity, how blessed are his sons after him. Just let that sink in for a little bit, dads. A righteous man who walks in his integrity, your kids, how blessed are they after you? Pastor Lewis says this. He says, A dad's character provides his kids with inner stability, which will be the fountain of their character for a lifetime. He says, In particular, in the preteen to teenage years, this is important because they can see if you're fake. They can see when they become teenagers if what you say is what you do. And so they need to see you loving your your wife. They need to see you loving uh, your character. And then thirdly, They need to see dad's heart. They need to see dad's heart. Again, Pastor Lewis says this. He says, from the teenage years on, dad, you become human to your kids. You become human to your kids. And you can share with them your feelings, your fears, your experiences, your regrets, your doubts, your desires. They get to see who you are, what you love, what you're all about. And so here's strategic point number one, dads. They need to see things from you. They need to see you loving your wife. They need to see your character. And they need to see your heart. Number two, strategic move number two is they need to hear some things. And he suggests three things. They need to hear you say over and over again until, until they are older and even beyond, I love you. I love you. They need to hear you say, I'm proud of you. They need to hear you say, you are good at fill in the blank. You did really well 
at blank. When you tell them that you're proud of them, that they're good at something, Pastor Lewis says, listen, you're pointing them in the direction that they will be successful in life, and it builds their confidence. When you say, I love you, of course you're giving them unconditional love and acceptance. And so, Dad, how are you doing on this, number two? You telling your kids regularly, son, I love you. You did great in the baseball game today. You're such a good artist. You did so well with sharing with your brother or sister. How are we doing, dads? They need to see things. They need to hear things. And then number three, he says they need to receive some things. Four things. Let me run through them quickly. Number one, they need to receive affirming encouragement. I think that's very similar to what we just talked about. He says this, a word from dad about that child's potential about the promise that you see in them, about the possibility of what they could be or what they could become. It's a powerful thing, he suggests. While on the other hand, a steady stream of negativity and doubt and criticism can be devastating. So dads, are you more affirming or are you more critical? Are they hearing what they did well or are they hearing what they did poorly, what they lacked in or what they flourished in. We need to, they need to receive affirming encouragement. Number two, they need to receive life instruction. These things are obvious, right? Everything that you know about life, you teach to your kids, right? Tie their shoes from doing chores, just life skills, balancing a budget, right? All of those things, everything that you know about life, when it's time appropriate, we teach them that. Number three, special one-on-one times. Dads, you thinking about dating your daughters? Thinking about having special man time with your son or sons? Taking your daughter out for ice cream or throwing the baseball with your son? Having tea time with your daughters? Those things are so vital. And number four, maybe most important of all, it is most important of all, Dads, they need to receive Jesus. And you need to help them receive Jesus. Kids, most likely, will ask questions. Have your kids asked questions about God to you? Mine have. What did you say? Were you ready? Did you have answers? Did you know how to connect the dots and ultimately connect them to a relationship with God through personal faith in Christ? Because when they grow, they need to know that Faith is not just a belief, but it's an action. Are we showing them how to live and to take courageous steps to obey God and to serve others? So, dads, here's our game plan, right? Three things. They need to see things, they need to hear things, and they need to receive things, right? And if we do these things, if we take this game plan and implement it, if we trust in the Lord, like Proverbs 1, uh, Psalm 127 says, if we, if we work on training our children up in Proverbs 22, 6, then we can... Keep the glory. I'm sure you've heard the, the, the phrase, the, the motto from American Express. So when you think of the credit card, American Express, don't leave home without it, right? You know it. Don't leave home without it. If we do these three things, if they see, if they hear, if they receive, dads, let's not let them leave home without these things. And if we do that, we'll be well on our way trusting in the Lord, training up our kids, and ultimately, in keeping the glory. Dads, 
the glory of your kids, the glory of children, is you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day in particular that in our culture you get, give us to think about both who fathers are, but most importantly, who you are. You are our Heavenly Father. You are the Father to the fatherless. And we thank you that regardless of how good or bad our earthly father is or, or was, that we have you and that we can come to you as sons and daughters. And yet we come not on our own merit. We don't come because we deserve it. We don't come boasting in anything. We come to you through your son, through your son, through his perfect life that we could never live, through his death in our place, bearing our sins, through his resurrection, which enables us to be new people and to have eternal life, both now and forever. We come through your son, and we come as sons and daughters, asking for your help, specifically for us fathers. Help us, God. Help us to trust in you to know unless you are building our house, it's utterly in vain what we do. May we turn to you, and may you be the one building the bricks of the spiritual household that we are overseeing. And may we train up our kids in the way that they should go. And we pray when they grow old that they would not turn from it. And we ask it in the name of Christ. And God's people said, amen. Amen. Guys, happy Father's Day. Thanks for coming. We'll pick up with the seven deadly sins next week. Thanks.